Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yeah. I have some really good news. Oh, tell me some good news, Julie. I know you need some today. We do. Lindsey Graham is promising to get to the bottom of this unmasking scandal. And this time he really, really means it. Oh, boy. That sounds like something that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the Obama people are super duper scared right now. Yeah. How many times he's promised he's going to get to the bottom of some scandal that he hasn't gotten to the bottom of? If I had a glass of Chardonnay for every time Lindsey Graham threatened to get to the bottom, it might last me. Well, OK, let's not be crazy. A month. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It turns out that Lindsey Graham's done absolutely nothing. But Rick Grinnell mm-hmm. has stepped up and taken action. So you you want to talk? You want to you can introduce you. You can introduce this scandal. I'll introduce the next scandal. Yes. So welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. It is, as usual, recording on Thursday afternoon and, oh, as usual, inundated with breaking news from the week uh, related to Obamagate, the Flynn case, the coronavirus crisis and various and sundry other uh, political scandals. So um Yes, let's start with the unmasking and uh, and Rick Rennell, who is the acting director of national intelligence, awaiting confirmation for Congressman John Radcliffe to take over that role permanently. But I think we can all agree that Rick Rennell has done a great job and speaks volumes for keeping someone in that role, any role temporarily. Right. So they don't have to face any consequences. He can just burn the place down, leave, go get a gig on cable news write a book, and he's set for life. Okay, he doesn't care. That's the most important thing. He's not a swamp creature. You know, he's not a he's not in that professional class in D.C. So he doesn't care. He doesn't care, which is great. A lot right. of these other people, they want their invitations. They want to go to the Aspen Center. They want to go to that <laughs> island off Georgia where they all go, and they smoke cigars and eat caviar. And whatever. So Rick speaking Rennell, of eating, what what are you eating right now? now I'm, I'm eating. Hungry. I'm just I'm just having my last bite of a bacon cheeseburger. Don't tell my <laughs> rabbi. I'm so jealous. Oh God, now I got to get one. I had to have it delivered because, as you know, I am much less free than you are here in Virginia. Well, I'm back in Illinois just for a few days, so I feel your pain. But um, um, yes, and. You know, I think it's important to remember the guy behind the scenes at the uh, DNI right now, who is Kash Patel, who was Devin Nunes' chief investigator, who did a lot of the heavy lifting, exposing Pfizergate, Russiagate, and has a few axes to grind for himself. So I think he is uh, going to be a very busy man over at uh, intelligence community for at least the next several months. Wow. So it's breaking right now. I'm going oh, no. to share this with you. It's <laughs> No, it's good news, actually. Senator Burr, who is a bad hombre of the mm-hmm. Intel Committee, the Senate Select Intel Committee, has stepped down following good. a raid of his of his. 
I think they, I don't know if it was a raid. They got his cell phone and they, they got his iCloud. And that is in relation to some unusually fortuitous stock trades right before the coronavirus pandemic, like, wiped everybody out. So he has stepped down. Too bad Good. he is not getting out of the Senate right away. I don't know if he's going to run for re-election, but he is a bad, he is bad news. He's not. He he is not running for re-election. He announced uh, he's not uh, he's not running. So Great. that was enough. So that's, that's good. You know what's sad though, Liz? I was looking at the intelligence uh, committee. So Richard Burr obviously has been working in tandem with Mark Warner to uh, uh, promulgate the Russian collusion hoax to cover up the malfeasance and misconduct of Jim Comey's FBI, among other things. And so this couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Good riddance to Richard Burr. I have to say, though, there aren't a lot of people on that committee that I would like to see replace him. Tom Cotton is one, John Cornyn. But let's be honest, none, neither of them has been outspoken on the Russia collusion hoax. So well, almost all um, those people on the committee are there for a reason, because that committee is actually controlled, controlled by the intelligence community. It's not an independent, separate branch of government. It's actually controlled by the intelligence community. So everybody on there has sort of been allowed to be on there for some reason or another. So keep that right. in mind. So we don't have all right. all slim pickings. We have slim pickings for that. Um, it is. So uh, this is this is good news for those of us who uh, have been covering the Russia collusion hoax and very frustrated with Richard Burr's, um, you know, buddy buddy routine with Mark Warner. There was just a clip of him uh, after Jim Comey was fired singing Comey's praises. What a decent man he was. So his um, doing the FBI's bidding didn't turn out so well for him in the end. No, not at all. But I mean, I'm shocked because normally they they would never go after him. Like the intelligence community would just kind of keep this as a chit to claim at a later point when they needed to force him to do something. But because this was so public and it was actually discovered by ProPublica, they broke the story that Burr had made like a million dollars or two million dollars. That's just pocket change for our elected officials that have become very rich while they're on the public teat. But he had somehow saved or made like at least a million dollars on some stock trades on um, like buying stock in uh, like work conferencing software like Zoom or uh, those. <laughs> no, this, seriously, he he wow. made a lot of money and and ProPublica broke that story. Um, another Senator, Georgia Kelly, what's her name, was also Loeffler. Like Kelly Loeffler also was had some suspicious moves. And so at that point, it's kind of hard to it's not as easy to hide from that. So and also, you know, you've got a you got a big boy at the DOJ and that's Barr. So he's not going to play these kinds of games that you would see under Obama. Well, it's interesting, the framing, though, that started to come out yesterday about the bar, uh, excuse me, Burr, Richard Burr, um, uh, FBI case investigation or preliminary investigation, is that um, you could see the pro collusion, the collusion truthers like Susan Hennessy at Lawfare. They're trying to spin this as a way that the DOJ is going after Trump's political enemies. So this is what they're setting up this week with the unmasking now with the Burr case and uh, 
because they are doing some, laying the groundwork damage control for what they anticipate is going to be coming out of John Durham's investigation um, into the corrupt origins of, uh, of Russiagate, I guess you would call it, as we now call it Obamagate. Well, they have to <clears throat> undermine um, the any competence or legitimacy in any investigation that calls them to account. Um, that was right. part of their plot with the Russia hoax to start was to undermine once they after they couldn't stop Trump from getting elected, they had to one, try and remove him and two, undermine him and and question his legitimacy, which would make it very hard for him to operate. And so that's what's going on now. That's a, a typical political warfare tactic is to undermine confidence in institutions and people. And so now we're hearing that every single thing that's been discovered after three years is just Trump's retribution um, on his enemies and in no way has any relationship to actual injustices. We know that's not true, though. Well, and let's circle back. And now Donald Trump just tweeted something about Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Graham is scrambling to put together an alleged calendar of hearings that will start in June. But I think it's important to tag people like Lindsey Graham and the Senate Republicans who have been done nothing to expose this scandal to the greater public. It's one thing to have an ongoing criminal investigation, which John Durham now has for the past year. It's another for the Senate Republicans to completely abdicate not just their political power, but their authority over the Justice Department. They did not hold hearings. They did not haul these people in before the cameras when they had a chance in 2017, 2018, 2019, and now now today in 2020. Um, So. One reason why the public is largely ignorant to some of the details of the scandal is because the Senate Republicans completely abdicated their authority and power when they had the chance. Well, it wasn't just Senate Republicans. Let's not forget the House Republicans, too, that were not only checking out of any oversight um, when they were in the majority, but you had jerks like Trey Gowdy, who was going on media telling everyone, I trust Mueller, I trust the FBI. They were literally on the other side. They were helping the, the Democrats and the left undermine the presidency and to give the Mueller, the Mueller, whatever, clown show, the veneer of legitimacy when, in fact, it never was. And so the senators are weak. And right now, unfortunately, that's the, you know, that's the one chamber that we control. But even when we had the House, there were people that were undermining and not supporting Devin Nunez, who took at great risk. That's right. Came forward because before Trump, Nunez was kind of like a milk toast kind of guy. He wasn't a firebrand. He wasn't a Louis Gohmert. He wasn't throwing firebombs. He was just kind of like, an average, didn't make waves. Look, he's chair of the Intel Committee. Boehner put him there. He wouldn't have been there if he was like an agitator, right? He, But when he saw something bad, he spoke up and he would not stop. And that's a lot more than, um, you know, a lot than, than, than any of, most of the other, the other people. They just let the Freedom Caucus hang out to dry. So I just want to make sure we don't leave out Trey Gowdy, who I think he got called on his 
shit this weekend. Who was it? Was it Hannity or was it Tucker? Tucker called him and played that clip with him going, oh, I trust I trust Mueller. He's a virtuous guy. I trust the DOJ. Good for Tucker. That needs to happen. It never happens. And it needs to happen a lot more because a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork now with their pitchforks and their torches. Now that it's a little safer for them to come out because the evidence is starting to become it's 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 indisputable. So it's really safe now for them to come out and say, oh, I was against this. I was That's always exactly against right. This. No, you weren't. You didn't do anything when you had the opportunity. So, and also, even worse than that, Liz, let's remember that the House Republicans had control of the House in 2017. They signed off on a bogus House ethics investigation into Devin Nunes that was be- started by the MoveOn.org. For his uh, looking at classified uh, documents in the White House or outside of the White House related to this scandal, they signed off on a House ethics probe into Devin Nunes, sidelined him from the collusion investigation during a critical time for eight months until he was cleared in uh, December 2017, leaving that committee in the incapable hands of Mike Conaway, who, if you read the transcripts of his interviews, I, he barely knew what he was talking about. And, you know, Devin Nunes would have done a hundred times better job interrogating these witnesses um, at the House Intelligence Committee. But anyway, so now we see this playing out. But it looks like Donald Trump has had enough of Lindsey Graham's promises, just sent out a tweet not long ago telling Lindsey Graham, you know, it's time for action. And it looks like Lindsey Graham is promising a bunch of hearings starting in June. So we'll see if that materializes. Trump needs to tell him Lindsey Graham is up for reelection. Trump needs to say, unless you put on a show to my liking in that Senate, I'm not going to campaign for you. Because Mm -hmm. Trump is very popular in South Carolina. That's how the game is normally played. Trump, for some reason, still doesn't, hasn't gotten that. But that, although he's getting better, because he did, like, refuse to allow Mitt Romney any part of the coronavirus task force stuff, which was great. (laughs) But still, that's how things are done. So, yes, Lindsey Graham needs to nut up and have some hearings and serious hearings, because the Democrats... They have no problem mobilizing in 48 hours. They've got this fake whistleblower today testifying and yapping because he was removed to a de- another division of the monstrous Health and Human Services Agency. Um, and he's whining and, you know, he's got Pelosi Ford's lawyers. They got that together pretty quick. Meanwhile, it's three years. We're waiting for Lindsey Graham to hold a hearing. Yeah, it just speaks to, you know, just the frustration, I think, among rank and file Republicans and why they stick with Trump no matter what, because he really seems to be one of the few who will stand up to what, you know, obviously the deep state, the swamp, whatever you want to call it. So uh, Lindsey Graham better if he he's now laid out this plan if he doesn't hold to it starting in early june regardless of what happens uh you know he he deserves to lose i mean i would argue he deserves to lose now and you have a hard time arguing why republicans should even have control of the senate outside of judges so he's another one he is just like trey gowdy they're always there when there's a camera Mm -hmm. to to you know pound the table and then missing in action in fact there's one other Um, issue I want to bring up I think this was on earlier this week maybe it was Hannity yeah it was Hannity because Hannity is very um sort of he's a polite 
you know, he's not like Tucker is a little bit more aggressive, but Hannity is is generally kind of like a polite host. And Matt Gates went on and just went off on Trey Gowdy and mentioned how it was Trey Gowdy and Paul Ryan who stopped them from getting the subpoenas that they wanted back when the Republicans controlled the House. And good for Matt right. Gates for calling him out because, again, Gowdy goes on the news and he's like, oh, well, all the conservatives love me. I'm a grassroots guy. And then behind the scenes, he's like preventing actual oversight from happening. And, of course, we must remember how Trey Gowdy botched the Benghazi, the special That's right. committee on Benghazi. So, all right, we're done with like five minutes of Trey Gowdy hate, but I just <laughs> need to get it out. I did. So. We, we did. It, it was good. Trey Gowdy <laughs> deserves it. So does Lindsey Graham. So, um, yeah. you know, we're watching you, that Lindsay. Was... Yes. Eyes. We got eyes on you. Um, okay, Liz, so what should we start with? We've got the unmasking oh God, so list. We have the Flynn case that's, uh, you know, continues to go back and forth. And we have Obamagate trending uh, most of the week, which our never Trump friends are telling us is a conspiracy theory. But nonetheless, plenty of ripe pickings today. So I'll let you start. Oh, my gosh. All right. I am going to start with let's start with the unmaskings because this was super exciting so rick rennell american hero who i don't know what the highest civilian award can be given to an american but he needs let's to make get, our own we a happy hour <laughs> we do a happy hour you, you get the freedom. gold star of happy hour you get because a diet Pepsi and a bottle of Ramy Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yes, you get. It's like you get a, a gold medal, and on the crest is like a can of diet Pepsi and like a glass of Chardonnay. Like that's the symbol of a happy hour, um, greatest human being ever. So Rick Rennell, um, first strong armed or shamed. I don't think you can shame Adam Schiff, but threatened. I think is a better word. Adam Schiff to release the transcripts of all of the Russia collusion interviews that happened years ago and were unanimously voted to be released. And Adam Schiff has been sitting on them for at least a year. I think there was a couple that weren't quite um, washed. They had to declassify and make sure any classified information was removed. But Rick Grinnell basically told Adam Schiff, you release them or I'm going to release them because they're ready to go. And so they got, they were released. So that was one fun thing. But then even better, Rick Rennell released the list of people that unmasked, that unmasked Mike Flynn from the time of the election when Trump won in November until right up until inauguration day. And let me just give a brief summary of what unmasking is. When our intelligence agencies give information to other parts of the government that they have obtained in the course of investigating foreign foreign people, foreigners, foreign terrorists, or diplomats masquer- that spies masquerading as diplomats in this country. They um, mask the name of any American citizen that's incidentally tied up in that. So if you let's say you have a Russian ambassador. Let's say his name is Pisliak and talking to an American, the name of that American wouldn't be revealed in the report that's distributed to people. It would just be the name of Pisliak, our pretend Russian ambassador. So now it's possible for these people who do get these reports and allegedly it's supposed to be very selective anyway. I think it's the highest level of classification. Um, 
they can ask to unmask the person who is involved with these foreign people or spies or future terrorists so that they can better understand the information. And so it's supposed to be rare and it's there to protect the identity of an American because the CIA and our intelligence agencies are not allowed to spy on Americans without going through a specific legal process because what they could do, and I'm not saying this was done, but I'm totally saying it was done, was that they could (laughs) set up some suspicious foreigners to go talk to average Americans, capture that communication and be like, I need to unmask that person and find out what's going on. I mean, that's a it's an end run around the actual civil um, liberties restrictions on our domestic spying operations or not. That's a very foreign, good point. Foreign that's spying really operations. Yeah, because that ha- right. that's that's what happened. But anyway, mm-hmm. so the importance of what Grinnell did is he uh, he unmasked the unmaskers and revealed the names of all of the Obama officials who had asked to have Mike Flynn's name revealed to them in the course of whatever snoop operation they had going. And I'll get into that in a minute. The reason that's, first of all, the reason that's most important immediately, the first thing is that Flynn's name and this phone conversation with Russian, real Russian ambassador or former real Russian ambassador Kislyak was that his name and the conversation were leaked to reporters, air quotes, at the Washington Post. Adam Entu said that he had heard gossip about it and it was uh, David Ignatius who actually wrote about this at, I think it was January 12th, in a right. column. And that was pretty outrageous. And the fact that a cl- highly classified document like that would leak out unmasking an American citizen is outrageous. So that is And a one- felony. And a right. felony. And right. it, it is a felony. The person who did it is, is working, still working for the government. And they are getting taxpayer money. So... That's one reason why it's important is so that we can see the universe of people who, and this isn't exclusive, it's not, it doesn't have to be one of these people, but it certainly expands the universe of people, it could be, who leaked Flynn's name. They requested and found out, although there's a couple of people who asked for the unmasking after the call. Meaning if they asked for it the day after the election, they wouldn't know about the call. They would just, you know, they would be unmasking intelligence. So there's a couple people who did ask for that information after, I think, December 29th, when Flynn did made that famous call to Kislyak. However, however, Mike Flynn was already under investigation by the FBI. He was already under investigation. And we are being told that they in- accidentally caught up this conversation because they monitor diplomat slash spy Kislyak and they just so happened he was on the phone with Mike Flynn and that's how they got it. But I'm not Liz, so can sure. We talk, can we talk about that for a second? Okay. Because, you know, I've written about Kislyak many times and suspect that he was taking marching orders from the Obama White House. He was like the Where's Waldo, right? He just popped up in literally every single collusion plot line that we heard from Jeff Sessions to um, Trump's April 2016 foreign policy speech. Um, He was at the RNC, Carter Page, J.D. Gordon, Jared Kushner. Um, So he just popped up everywhere. Sergey Kislyak was very tight with the Obama White House. Okay, he was the Russian ambassador 
the entire the entirety of Obama's um, two terms in office. He had a Georgetown mansion. He had this lake house where he would entertain people. He was at the Obama White House twice in October of 2016, as his country was allegedly trying to hack our election. Right. In November of 2016, after the election, when Russia is like, you know, a global phone number one, they attacked our democracy, interfered in our election. He shows up at Stanford University giving a speech with Mike McFall, an Obama buddy. He's who another also, shithead. Well, he is. And he's tight with this collusion hoax, too. He is a former U.S. ambassador to Russia, was sworn in by Hillary Clinton. He was in the White House at the same time Kislyak was in 2016. So I'm not so sure that they were actually surveilling Sergey Kislyak because they knew the guy was not up to anything. I suspect more that they were surveilling Mike Flynn and other transition team members, which Devin Nunes this week suggested. We are going to learn a lot more about unmasking because they were spying on other Trump t- transition team members. Right. So, so that means that means the unmasking people think, oh, it's it's that all right. these other people unmask, which in a sense just gave a wider a le- the air of legitimacy to a wider circulation of people that knew what Mike Flynn was doing. But the fact is, the FBI had long has long been spying on Mike Flynn. Right. Seriously. So that I don't know. I mean, I'm glad those names were were released because there's and we can talk about who's on that those that list, those 16 people. But I don't think that they just happened to happened upon this crazy conversation um, between Flynn and Kislyak because they pick up Kislyak's comms. That's that wasn't I don't think that's what happened. They've been spying on Flynn along with they were spying on others. What was the name of his his investigation? It was Crossfire Razor. Is that the stupid name cross, they gave it? Cross Razor, right? Whatever. So everything had like a cross in it, right? So there was stupid. no Christopher Cross, though. I was waiting for that. Sailing because. away at Kislyak's <laughs> Lake House. Um, sorry. <laughs> okay, so what's super interesting about this list is who are making requests to unmask American citizens. And there are some doozers. There's things on there that are not unexpected. I'm not surprised to see Clapper. I'm not surprised to see Comey. I'm not surprised to see Brennan. I'm not surprised to see that stupid idiot, Samantha Powers. But I am surprised to see that the U.S. ambassador to Italy is on there. And Mm -hmm. I'm really surprised to see a whole bunch of requests from the NATO people. Why? What on earth would those people need to know to have Flynn's name unmasked? Do you have any... I mean, I, I I mean, I have suspicions, but I'm curious what you think, Julie. Well, I, I don't know, but I think, it, you know, it's we go back to what happened in July of 2016. And that was um, the station chief, uh, Mike Gaeta, the FBI station chief in Rome meeting with Christopher Steele on July 5th, which happened to be the same day that James Comey was giving his infamous presser to exonerate Hillary Clinton. So we know that uh, there's a, an Italian angle to this, so I don't know if it has anything specifically to do with this. But there are some really weird names on that. Uh, Jack Lew, uh, Treasury Secretary. Why Several would Treasury you... employees. Right. Right. So, um, right. 
But a couple of things that jumped out at, at me, number one was the unmasking request by Dennis McDonough, who is Barack Obama's chief of staff, who made an unmasking request of Michael Flynn on January 5th, which is the day of the infamous briefing in the Oval Office uh, with Obama, Biden, Clapper, Comey, Brennan, uh, Susan Rice, Sally Yates, the usual suspects, right? And that is the meeting when Barack Obama told Sally Yates about the phone call between Flynn and Kislyak and Comey first raised the Logan Act bullshit case against Flynn. So interesting. So I'm curious how that is tied if McDonough got that unmasking. Some people have suggested, though, that that call was not masked, that it was an FBI product, not NSA. But could it have been both? I don't know. But it's suspicious that it happened on that particular day. Yeah, <clears throat> that's that is indeed interesting. I mean, this th- this list raises even more questions, um, and I'm particularly alarmed by ambassadors who are the most political appointments of all. Right? These are basically just rich campaign donors. That's you give them cushy ambassadorships, like to Italy and stuff. And so right. the NATO people, a bunch of people in Treasury, it's it's. It's unusual, but this speaks to the greater problem of just the abuse of the intelligence community by the the Obama administration from the very beginning that got all of their um, 702 access cut off. These people have been abusing the intelligence surveillance system from God knows how long. Right. And let's remember the Obama administration was caught spying on Angela Merkel has been caught they were caught spying on reporters surveilling reporters over in in the uh, EU we know that they were surveilling reporters here i think that's probably a reason why reporters were so afraid to go after the obama administration because they knew that they would pay the price so i mean none of this is new nobody it should really be surprised that obama and his minions took this to the absolute ex- extreme and weaponized it against trump and his people no, you're you're right. I mean, this is not really that out of the ordinary. Um, I know Lee Smith has written about how the Obama administration was spying on um, elected officials and also interest gr- outside interest groups that were opposed to the Iran deal, that there's evidence that there was some snooping going on there. I know Jane Harmon right. lost her seat because of That's some right. shenanigans. So there's just been a wholesale abuse of the um in our intelligence surveillance uh, abilities by the Obama administration, just like there's abuse of our other institutions like the IRS um, that was weaponized right. against the his <clears throat> Obama's polit- perceived or the left, really Obama, but it's the left political enemy. So my question to you, Julie, is who do you think came up with the Logan Act idea? Because that's super random, right? Like, where did that where who on earth pulled that out of their ass as like the way to go after Flynn? If you recall, Liz, they started harping about Logan Act violations in the summer of 2016. So if you look back, they already had people accusing Trump and his people, um, whether if they were talking to foreign officials, even if they were talking about just foreign policy, that they were somehow violating the Logan Act. So they tried that during the campaign. Uh, so who would have come up with that? 
I don't know, Lisa Page and Peter Strzok one night over Pillow Talk. I, I, who knows? Uh, right. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. But they tried that during the campaign. And so so that January 5th meeting was obviously a setup. And Sally Yates walked right into it. What a fool, because she was totally set up by Obama and Comey because they knew she was the she would be a top official acting attorney general under Trump until he got Jeff Sessions confirmed. Um, so she ran with the Logan Act case, went to Don McGahn, uh, raised that as an issue, said that Flynn was compromised and subjected to Russian blackmail. And that set up uh, Flynn resigning uh, in mid-February of 2017. Well, we know that Rick Cornell has more to come. And mm-hmm. I look forward to it. What um, about the Biden unmasking? What oh do you my make gosh. of that? You know what? Here's what I make of it. He had no idea. You know, I mean, he right. didn't. He didn't <laughs> make that request. Let's stop pretending. Right. I mean, it was probably Colin Call, who was his uh, national security advisors and best buddy with uh, Ben Rhodes. Um, I think the way it works is that people, certain people at a, a certain at a at the right level have a code to make these requests and their underlings do it. I, I think that he probably told one of his wet nurses to go fetch him, you know, to make this request under his authority. Um, But yeah, I'm, I think it's interesting that the date he, he made a request and I wonder what information they were getting on Flynn at that time, because the request was made on January 12th. So you know, me, which is also the day of the David Ignatius column. Right. That 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 is true. You know, I, I can't remember how many people um, but like I can't remember Ignatius's article if he says that nine people told me this or, you know, or however many. But maybe they pulled it so they could see and then they could be one of the anonymous sources that confirmed it happened. I don't know at the last minute, although probably not because that stuff gets ready to go to print before the day it runs. But um, I wonder, you you have Mike Flynn, who was during the transition coming in to be the national security advisor. He was obviously talking to a whole bunch of people, foreign and domestic, getting ready to take office. And the Obama administration people were just snooping on him for no reason. They were just totally straight up spying on him for no reason. They were supposed to close the um, fake investigation they had. Remember, they couldn't find anything. They were supposed to, they were going to close it in December before Peter right. Strzok called and said, hey, leave it open so we can have a pretense to go make him lie. Um, but even by that time, there was nothing else on Flynn, right? They were leaving it open so they could have an opportunity to get him on something because thus far they hadn't gotten him on anything. So I wonder why, what they were snooping on him, on Flynn. Right. And hopefully we'll learn more about that um, as you know, the John Durham investigation continues. I know that John Durham, it's been reported, has, is it Jeff Jensen? who was yes, the Jeff U.S. Jensen. attorney tasked with looking into the Flynn prosecution. So maybe we'll exactly find out. But you know what else was interesting was that came out just to jump off of Mike Flynn for a second. Um, these transcripts that were finally released by House Intelligence, a big bombshell that came out is that there was never evidence that the Russian government hacked the DNC's email server 
the testimony by Sean Henry, who is a CEO at CrowdStrike, also was a Mueller a top deputy for Robert Mueller when he ran the FBI and is also an MSNBC contributor because, of course, why not? Um, but he testified, if you read his testimony, gave no indication of hard proof that the Russian government was responsible for that DNC uh, intrusion. And so that is just yet another talking point narrative or hard truth that we've been led to believe that is a lie. And we're not getting much we're not getting much coverage on that fact by our mainstream friends who has been peddling the Russia hack the DNC hoax for three years. And they probably still think so. I bet they didn't even none of these people even bothered reading these transcripts because they don't they're not in it to find out what happened. They're in it to put out a narrative and to put out propaganda. Right. And I think as you look back at all this entire timeline and how this all came together, really, the end of July of 2016, it was because these emails were so damaging. The John Podesta um, phishing and then the DNC email hack, the release of those emails on WikiLeaks were so damaging at the same time that the DNC, that the convention was taking place. And so that's really when the Russian collusion hoax started to come together as a diversion to what was happening in Philadelphia at the end of July, which led to the resignation of um, of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was head of the party at the time. The Bernie bros, if you remember, were all up in arms because they knew that the process was rigged. And so the convention was really melting down. So they need to, needed to scramble, come up with a diversion, which they did. Glenn Simpson went to Philadelphia, started pitching the dossier, the P-tape allegation, this whole collusion narrative. Robbie Mook went on TV and said that the Russians had hacked into the DNC and anybody who was you know, talking about the emails was doing the Kremlin's bidding. That's really when this all came together. And then, of course, we know July 31st. Jim Comey's FBI officially opened up uh, Crossfire Hurricane, the counterintelligence probe, into the Trump campaign. Yeah, so that's another that's another like fable that's never going to be acknowledged. The whole DNC hack and how how it was all a distraction, and it was all to continue the damage to the president. I mean. Their, I think the initial goal was to try and damage and trash Trump so he couldn't win the election. And then once he did win the election, blowing up the lie, continuing it, expanding it, getting even more hysterical than before the election was to pave the way for impeachment, which they needed to wait until the Democrats took the House back in, at the midterms and also simultaneously undermine undermine Trump. And so that. It's never going to be acknowledged. If you went up to any of the New York Times biggest enthusiasts, Russia collusion enthusiasts, and said, are you aware that the testimony shows there's literally no evidence that the Russian of the Russians exfiltrated the data from the DNC server? They have no idea. And you know what? They don't care because this right. has never been about being an honest invest. This isn't about an honest investigation. Well, there was something on uh, Twitter today how CNN, MSNBC, I believe the New York Times, none of them covered the FISA unmasking. 
but they don't cover it because their viewers don't care. They don't want the truth. They um, they are so ignorant to this entire scandal. They've been brainwashed by the Democrats, the never Trumpers and the media for more than three years on this. They are completely divorced from reality. So even if CNN had tried to explain the unmasking scandal and who did it, these viewers on the left are so out of touch and so out of step with what's been happening. They couldn't even explain it. So why bother? Well, and they don't care that, yeah. because it. So why would CNN and MSNBC cover it? Their viewers have no freaking clue what's going on. So why try to get them up to speed? But that is that is right. The people now make the calls. It's like we have the complete democratization of the news, which on the one hand is kind of good because the people that decide what's important to be in the news are morons. But on the other, the public just wants to see its its hopes and dreams confirmed in, you know, crazy conspiracy theory fantasies. So you are right. If when when you have the New York Times changing its headlines because the readers are don't think it's mean enough to Trump, that gives you some idea of what's going on. It's like one of those. I don't watch those reality talent shows where people call in for the best singer, but you know it's stuff like that. Like which story do you want? Call in, you know, and what, what do you what story do you want us to tell you? And we'll say whatever you want, and then call in, and the ones with the most calls, well, that's the headline will run. That's basically what we're talking about is going on here. But it is it does speak to the ability for these thought leaders and our journalistic betters to claim any sort of moral high ground. They're, they don't care about foreign interference in the election. They don't care about getting to the truth. They they have absolutely no moral ground to stand on about that. And they like to look down their nose at Fox News, which isn't even that hardcore, or, you know, people like you and me, if they knew who we were, which probably don't, that's fine, you know, look down at us. But they're, they're, they're at the bottom of, they're just simple puppets and propagandists so anyway let's move on to our next hot scandal um which is that crazier than a shithouse rat judge in charge of the Flynn case (laughs) Julie you can I'll let you lead into that well I mean we've seen this again play out right we saw this in the Roger Stone case that whack Amy Berman Jackson, who gave like the 50 minute soliloquy from the bench about how Roger Stone undermined our democracy, was a threat to our core values, blah, blah, blah. And so we see now Emmett Sullivan taking the dog whistle from Barack Obama, what he sent out this week, um, which was that the Mike Flynn dismissal would not stand and could not stand. And so um, Emmett Sullivan, now I'm not a lawyer, he appointed what do they call a friend of the court who's a retired judge who just happened to pen a Washington Post column a few days ago suggesting this very thing that someone should be appointed from outside the court to review the request to drop the case from both the prosecution and the defense and then charge Mike Flynn with perjury because he backtracked apparently on uh, it's part of his plea ar- arrangement. I'm not clear on that. But anyway, so we now have um, prosecutions happening from the bench 
and uh, Emmett Sullivan refusing to abide by requests from the prosecution and defense to drop the case. I think it's so amazing that we're now at a place in our judicial system where like a third party can come in and just prosecute a case that the a criminal case that the government isn't interested in. I mean, is this is this for everyone from now on? You know what I mean? Like when the when you report a crime and say somebody broke into my house and they stole a bunch of stuff and the and the DA and the police go, oh, sorry, ma'am. We just don't have enough information to bring it to trial. We don't have enough to go on. And you say, I don't, that's okay. I'll step in and be the pretend prosecutor. I mean, what it's the whole thing is absurd. It's absurd. Well, what do you do then? Do you just like, do you just stop showing up to court? Like should Sidney Powell and DOJ just be like, you go on your married little excursion. We're not even showing up. Like we're not even going to come to a hearing. Like what would they do then? What do they do? Go arrest them? Like, how far do you take this? Well, also, it's, the judge has introduced some new crime, a new crime, too. Now he's like, well, let's get Flynn. This is I'm sorry. This is just mind blowing. He wants to get Flynn <laughs> for perjury because he lied about saying that he whatever the it's not perjury. It's like misleading a federal agent or some other other crime, air quotes, that he pled guilty to as part of his deal and now the judge is claiming that because he is saying he didn't lie but then did or didn't he didn't mislead but then pled to misleading that that's somehow perjury and it's like what what is what is happening here I don't know what I I don't know what the the proper strategy is because I'm not a lawyer um even though I have watched a lot of law and order in my time and I do well I do then, give out, yeah, and I do give out legal you. advice on Twitter like all the other Twitter lawyers um but I'm not sure. This will probably be overturned at some point. I don't know if there's like an emergency order that they can immediately go to the court above this clown and have him get like throat stomped by someone above him um, immediately so that this doesn't drag on. I mean, this is kind of ridiculous and, you know, so much for a speedy trial. But I don't know what I, I well, don't know what the I... strategy is. Like Flynn in a way, and you feel bad for the guy, but he is sort of the sacrificial lamb who has exposed all of this corruption, all of this malfeasance, all of this rogue duct from every institution, right? From the Oval Office to the Department of Justice to um, now the court system and how tied in these people are together. Washington, D.C., the judges, the lawyers, the lawmakers, the prosecutors, they're all on the same side, right, which now appears to be against the side of uh, innocent Americans, which should alarm everyone. But of course, it's not. So he has kind of been the guy. Uh, his saga has really exposed all of this. Um, and so to that extent, I, you know, of course, we should be grateful, even though we feel bad for the guy because he's practically been ruined and he's been bankrupted. But for this case, we would not see the wide ranging um, orchestrated targeting of one man for the his fatal mistake. Uh,
So Mike Flynn, in a way, is kind of the sacrificial lamb because he has, unfortunately for him, because he has exposed this entire corrupt, uh, rotted system in Washington, D.C., where the prosecutors work with the judges, work with the defense attorneys, which happened with his first legal team, work with the media. They're all on the same side, right, which is sadly against the side of innocent Americans. And they are going to pull out every trick that they possibly can to prevail over Mike Flynn, just like they did with Paul Manafort, just like they did with Roger Stone. They've done with every Trump associate. Meanwhile, people like Andrew McCabe, who we know lied under oath, who admitted lying under oath, is a CNN contributor. And poor Mike Flynn has lost his house and his livelihood and, you know, had his son threatened, etc. So this is what the Flynn case, the Flynn matter, the Flynn saga has exposed for better or worse. I think for better because we know what we're dealing with. Well, I also think another bonus of keeping this going on with this court, dragging this out, is that it silences Mike Flynn. He can't talk right now when this, as long as this case is going on, he's, he can't go out and do a bunch of media, right? He, his lawyer wisely told him to shut his mouth. And so right. as soon as this is over, Mike Flynn is going to be all over the place talking and they don't know what he's going to say. But there's a reason that they didn't want him to have that position of national security advisor. And it wasn't just because he knew where the bodies were buried and that he would figure out about all of the spy operations that were being run, uh, you know, in the illegally run against the Trump campaign and the spying and that were con- and that they couldn't p- continue the spying operations to undermine Trump and get him out. I think there's other reasons they didn't they don't want Flynn to speak. So I do think that they're dragging this out to keep him from being able to talk about what happened to him. I don't know. Right. And that's that's probably true. No, because didn't Roger Stone have a gag order on him as well? Oh, yeah. Although Roger Stone wouldn't stop talking. (laughs) You know know what? Good point. You had to put one on Stone. Right. I mean, his lawyer probably asked for it because, you know, it's not good for him to keep to, to do that. And Flynn was smart. He got it. He he's been quiet. But I really think there are people that don't want Flynn to be able to come out and talk. It also so makes Liz, it harder. It makes it harder for the media to ignore him, too, when he is out there talking. Then it's going to be like, where's the CBS interview? Where's the New York Times phone calls? How come you don't want to, you don't care? Exactly. Um, Liz, there's a little more breaking news as we are doing our oh podcast, which because it's, if not an hour goes by where there's not breaking news, it looks like Diane Feinstein also is tied up in this FBI investigation oh, into trade up. deals. So up. I'm trying to, I know, come on, it's like Christmas. Oh my God. I can't even, um, it's too much. Hold on, let me pull this up. Feinstein's office confirmed she answered questions from FBI about her husband's trucks, stock trades, handed over documents. This is being reported by NBC News. FBI asks Feinstein for documents about her husband's stock trades, was asked basic questions. Um, 
Now, we know her husband is shady as hell, and anybody who wants more documentation should read Lee Smith's piece on their ties to China. They're grifting off of China's largesse. Um, I think that was in Tablet. Was it Tablet yeah, last Yeah, it was Tablet. Month? That was a good one. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Kelly Loeffler, who you just brought up, the uh, interim senator from Georgia who is up for uh, election. I guess she was appointed. Um and so she it looks like she's caught up in that, too. Wow. Well, let's see if anything happens to DiFi, because, as you know, Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy working for her for 20 years mm-hmm. as on the payroll. And so, right. um, yeah, and that did, she did not get a bunch of FISA warrants against her and her staff for years. Um no, she they, she got a phone call saying, hey, I think there's a spy working for you. And then she fired him, uh, <laughs> which was a courtesy that that's. Uh, which was that, great for, you know, a key figure on the Senate Intelligence Committee to somehow have a Chinese spy working for her. That was great. Yeah, that was just it was like that, that whole story. That whole story was so crazy. And it just was like brushed over. It's like, oh, yeah, there's a Chinese spy working for Diane Feinstein, whatever, move along for like 20 years, not even for like two months or six months or an election cycle for 20 years. <laughs> Come on, people. Come you on. Know, I have to say, Liz, given this scandal and the, this insane coronavirus um, handling and, and crisis, this is not a country prepared to have a presidential election in six months. Am I wrong? Like, who trusts who now? I mean, nobody trusts anybody. This is not this is not the time to try to elect a president, reelect a president, a House, a Senate, governors, state legislatures. I mean, this this is just the trust and so many levels has been completely burned and you can already see how they're trying to steal this election with their mail-in absentee voting garbage. So, well, that um, didn't work out so well in their their California special election that didn't go so well for them. Right. Right. The Republican took the seat. They probably thought they were going to sail right into that and they didn't. So I'm not, I I don't support mail-in voting unless you're legitimately absent. Um, so I think I think that's the point. I think that the point of this, I think the Democrats want to force like a total breakdown of everything so they can start over. Right. Like we've kind of got a sense of this um, when we had the Corona with, with the coronavirus where what's his name? Um, Clyburn was like, yeah, now we can put we can, you know, get some more stuff to our liking. And then. um use use the bill to like you, you know p- put in their garbage policies basically holding aid hostage for be, so the republicans would pass their ridiculous thing their ridiculous wish list but also you're seeing a lot of pieces now talking about how great it is that the carbon emissions are down because nobody's in their car and how nice it is and how the animals are roaming free again you know like hint hint you know, shouldn't we go back to, you know, why would we go back to living a life of freedom and mobility? You know, so you can kind of see. So I do think that they that the Democrats have always, especially during the Trump administration, they're always um, 
attacking the legitimacy of elections that are won by Republicans. The most obvious example was the two, 2000 election with Bush Gore, where they spent mm-hmm. four years saying he was selected, not elected, you know, that crap. And then now, right. after when Trump won, that he was, you know, he didn't really win. The Russians got him. And they want to erode trust in our institutions so they can get rid of the pesky institutions that keep them from power um, and bring in some new blood, some new Karl Marx blood or whatever they want. Right. So let's talk about uh, a little bit about um, what's happening in the red states opening up and the blue states where you are right now, Virginia. I am in Illinois. Luckily, being able to escape to Florida mostly, but um, this is really have this has the Corona uh, virus uh, hysteric hysterics um, all up in arms because they were counting on what did they call this the human sacrifice experiment in Georgia. Yeah. And now we've got two or three yep. weeks out, and their numbers are actually going down. Where are the bodies? And so where's the bodies? Bring out your dad, as we've been saying for two months now. <laughs> um, so you could see and they are continuing to open. And I think that they're serving as kind of a model for other states to open up as well. So what happens, Liz, when, say, Florida opens up, Georgia opens up entirely, their caseloads continue to drop, their deaths are not anywhere near numbers that we're seeing in New York or New Jersey, even though Andrew Cuomo promised that this would be happening all across the country, then what happens in well, terms think, of what we've been told and warned I think, about? I think the media, well, look, there's two Americas, all right? There's the one you and I live in, you know, like where we're kind of looking around and we're like, well, it doesn't really seem like things are as bad as we were told. And um, as time went on, we're like, this seems kind of ex- excessive based on what we're seeing. And then there's the people that have been brainwashed by the forces that want this crisis to, you know, pave the way for new govern, new form of government. And so the America we're in, the people that we know and the sort of savvy people and also the people that want to make a living again and want to have their family businesses and and want to go back to their their way of life they're getting they're not going to buy into the hysteria but i think that there's a large chunk of our of our country that is absolutely still hysterical and the media is going to make sure that the, it doesn't stop so just because the dead aren't piling up, we're going to hear stories about how the numbers are wrong. We're going to hear stories of, from nurses that are in ER saying, oh, it won't stop. It's crazy. People are dying. I mean, there is going to be a continued propaganda effort to get people to think that this is much worse than it actually is. And it actually isn't that bad outside of New York and New Jersey and a couple of, and like some of the larger cities um, on the East Coast, like I think Connecticut has some issues. But other than that, it really isn't much worse than what the normal level of hospital visits and deaths would be outside of those outside of those like six or 10 counties where most of the deaths are. And of course, the nursing homes, which are, are, is, are obviously something that should have been controlled from the start. But that's what I think. I think that you you've already are seeing people starting to bust. Right. You're seeing people Mm -hmm. opening up against the law, right, against the rules of the law. I guess um, I just read somewhere that that evil witch Gretchen Whitmer, who's been battling that poor barbershop, that 
because I think didn't I can't remember what state the court ruled that they can't do it. It may have been Wisconsin. I think she just revoked the guy's license to be a barber. Like that's unbelievable. You know, she's a little bitch. Seventy-seven year old, a seventy-seven year old man who's run a business like he said longer than she's been alive. Lunatic. And then she's revoked his barber. Li- I mean, do these people? This is not endearing someone like this to the average person. But back to your question. I'm pretty sure you agree is that the media is going to keep hyping this up. Like the member now we're hearing second wave. There's a second wave and also the mysterious new Kawasaki syndrome from children, right? Like they're, they're going to right. keep putting this and they're not putting it in context. And to be, and I'll just say straight here, I don't really think we're going to get a vaccine. We have no vaccines for any coronaviruses, And this is not the first, I don't think we're going to get a vaccine. I don't. I think the best thing we can do is get some treatments. And if you are vulnerable, you need to take extra precautions. And I think that that's the best that we can do. What do you think, Julie? I agree. I agree. And even if there is a vaccine, (laughs) even in the next year, um, no way am I taking it. And I'm certainly not going to have my girls. Oh, my God. Let's have um, Gretchen Whitmer and Phil Murphy and yeah, Ralph Northam first. and Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo you, go, you first. go first right we're gonna sit here we're gonna sit and watch you twitch and like have a convulsion and get Kawasaki disease or whatever but um so the Kawasaki thing I've looked into there's no direct correlation to coronavirus at all what I suspect is that kids whose immune systems are breaking down because they've been stuck in some Bronx <laughs> shithole for two months. So that is, that's a possibility. And you know what, Liz, I was going to address it and I just, I've given up because I'm like, if you people are buying into what Andrew Cuomo is saying, his obvious deflection away from murdering thousands of helpless people in nursing homes in New York state. If you want to buy into his latest propaganda, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm not going to disabuse you of it because Kawasaki disease is one of those things that pops up when, you know, the, the anti-chemical people, like they told you not to have your carpets cleaned when your kids were little because you would get Kawasaki disease. Like it was always some, it's always tagged to some exotic. It's like this exotic disease to curtail behavior. Like, is that what you're saying? That it's like some scary thing. Yeah, it is. It is. I remember when my oldest was a baby and I was reading about Kawasaki disease because I was like a clean freak and I was getting my carpets clean like once a month. And they were like, oh, my God, the chemicals, your kid's going to get Kawasaki, you know, and you're checking them for like rashes and like their eyes popping out of their head. And like so this is one of those diseases that crops up. But I do think it's immune. And I do think it's because these kids, if they're getting it, are trapped in these apartments for two months and haven't seen the sun or their friends or and they've been stuck on screens. There's absolutely no tie zero to coronavirus because as we're now getting more information, the infection rate for people 18 and under is less than 2%. Kids are not getting this virus. And so now they have to make up and scare people that everyone's kids are going to get Kawasaki. Well, that's that's right. That's the greatest way to manipulate people is to tell is to tell them that their children are at risk. Of course, so with a scary disease, people care about that. Also, like there people, there's probably going to be like a glut of scurvy or whatever the disease is where you don't get sunshine or something. Maybe that's not scurvy, but um, no, it's vitamin. It's is vitamin, it vitamin C. C or, I think you're right. Right. Remember, like all the 
people coming over on the ship, they all yeah. get scurvy. They're going to get scurvy right. or all those other weird exotic diseases that we thought we put to bed because we live, you know, a relatively free and bountiful life. And now we're locked up like hostages. Um, our governor here in Virginia has just extended the imprisonment until the end of May. Um, we were supposed to open up on Friday. I was so excited because I look like a derelict oh. at this point without my team of specialists to keep me somewhat fresh and plucky. And uh, nope, I have two more weeks. I feel like this is, it's just 14 more days. It's just 14. Shut up. If I hear that, if anyone ever says that to me again, I'm just going to punch them. But meanwhile, I'm like, maybe I need to drive to a neighboring state so I can get some, you know, I can get a pedicure or I could get, I mean, I trust my colorist, but I mean, really, like I'm about to go to get some Clairol or something like it. It's just a bad, oh, God. It, I'm, I'm kidding. I'd never do that. Do that. Um, but it just, it just seems so ridiculous that, that we're still doing this and we we aren't giving people the freedom to open up their businesses and let me as a consumer make the decision what my risk level is if I feel comfortable getting a manicure and a pedicure and I'm wearing a mask or maybe that's fine for me you know we, we've seen studies that indicate <clears throat> that it isn't really passive passive um, contact that that is responsible for transmitting diseases it's much more constant close in a closed area contact, whether it's a nursing home <clears throat> or a cruise ship or a, <clears throat> a family gathering where you're around the same people for hours and hours. I don't know. I don't think this can go on much longer. People are starting to get really mad. And honestly, if, if some places don't want to open up, I'm fine with that, but you can't get federal aid. You know, if New York wants right. to stay shut down or some of these other places, I mean, New York ha is a very special, unique circumstances in this country because it's so population dense and that horrible subway is a major disease vector. But, you know, if you don't want to open, if you're, if you don't want to open up your city, if you're an asshole mayor or county commissioner or jerk off governor, and you think that you're going to keep the virus in check by forcing people off the tennis courts and the beaches, that's fine. But you just get no fun. You get no federal bailouts for that. Yeah. And, and I just think of what we have to do now is the people who are not afraid can go on with their lives and wear a mask, not wear a mask. I've only worn a mask for a few minutes to get on a plane the other day. That was it. I took it off, even though the stewardess kept scolding me. I ignored her. But for those of us who are not afraid and our kids are not afraid and we want to go out and resume life fine if you're still afraid and you're afraid for your children you can lock them up I mean go ahead but what this is doing to the collective psyche I think especially of young people it really frightens me I see these little kids on planes with masks they don't need masks they're not carriers of the virus they don't transmit it they don't even get it. So what are we teaching them? And now threatening that schools won't open in the fall. Kids who are graduating, who are looking forward to going away to college. I mean, my daughter's in college. Her stuff has been trapped in a dorm in Syracuse since March. We can't even get there to get it. And she has no idea if she's now going to even be going back in August. So what they, have they told you? Like, do they know? Are you gonna, wow. That's really. Yet. There's just a lot of people who's gonna, are going to have their normal life path completely disrupted but maybe there's 
something greater that can come out of this that people will see the uselessness of the of some of these call like the the the, the colleges the price of colleges right. and all oh. that although we both talked about how much we we had a great college experience so um i think it was important but it didn't cost 10 times what it you know i didn't pay the same That's amount right. of money that uh all the that the federal government is paying to keep people in school but that there are people not going to college in the fall. There are people that just graduated that aren't going to get jobs. There's people that didn't have prom. There's people that didn't look at the poor Olympians, you know, their, their know. Olympics is canceled. You know, not everybody can wait another year. Um, the Little League world series canceled. I mean, terrible. swim club. I, I, what, I mean, they already canceled spring sports in the college and high school level. So those kids who were looking or needed that for scholarships or just needed that because that's that's our outlet. That's what they do. That's been canceled for for what? I mean, the long term consequences of this are going to be far more damaging than the short term, uh, you know, what we went through and what what we would have had to endure. This is going to take years to kind of flesh out what what this did to kid to everybody but especially yeah. young people i think absolutely <clears throat> well we're over an hour oh jeez and that means it's time for us to go back on twitter and see what is important because we've been off it for an hour we are no we've been on it we haven't we're Ju- still like julie we're just retweeted me as Yay. we're talking <laughs> yeah i'm almost at my are you on it though i gotta see i have to see what's happening honestly god knows I, I try and spend like no more than 20 to 30 minutes a day focusing on Twitter because it's so toxic, but um, <laughs> it is good for breaking news. Um, it is. So we will see you next week. Our next episode will be Friday. Have a great week. Julie, say bye-bye. Bye-bye, all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.